There's a line in Paul Simon's Boy in the Bubble that says, every generation throws a hero up the pop chart. Every generation throws a hero up the pop chart. Paul's right. Music tastes change, and music itself evolves. But one of the questions we get asked all the time, was music better back then? Welcome to the age-old question. I'm Rich Price. And I'm Clint Bierman. Each episode deals with another question in music fandom. The kind of questions that Clint and I have been debating since we were in college. So today, with the help of some smart people, we're going to come up with the answer. Okay, Clint, what's today's question? Today's question is, was music better back in the day? That's the age-old question. Let's start this conversation with an acknowledgement. In every era where music has been played, there have been people who think it's just not as good as it used to be. In 1824, a leading German music journal of the time panned Beethoven's Ninth Symphony as being too long, too complex, and inventing arbitrary rules to change musical conventions for no good reason just to please its composer. Beethoven's Ninth. That's a famous one, man. That's like the most sublime piece of music ever imagined. It just transcends classical music. Everyone knows that one. It's like the one you know. About 40 years earlier, a leading music critic wrote a scathing review of Mozart's latest piece, The Marriage of Figaro. saying it was too noisy and crudely incorporated too many musical styles into the work. Like Beethoven's Ninth, The Marriage of Figaro is now considered among the greatest works of all time. I'd love to hear what that guy says now, you know? Like, right. After right. looking back, like if he could have any sort of hindsight, he panned the greatest piece of music ever written. Come on. Another were considered to be a seminal masterpiece. When Sgt. Pepper came out, Richard Goldstein, a music critic for the New York Times, not some like schlocky Albany newspaper. Yeah. No offense to Albany. No offense. Richard Goldstein, writing in the New York Times, called it elaborate confection that lacked substance and depth and that the Beatles were trying too hard to be avant-garde. Wow. My point is, having the thought that music used to be better is not a new thought. Correct, yeah. Take a listen to Paul McCartney talking about how this played out even in his own family. You know, it never Different. felt rebellious to me. It was just the music. My dad didn't particularly like it, but he'd had all stories about how his dad didn't like his music. Because he was playing things like Chicago, Chicago. And his dad was saying, oh, tin can music, son, you know. Because his dad was a brass band player. It actually goes back the music line quite a way. He used to play an E-flat bass in a brass band. Uh, and he didn't like what my dad was playing. So my dad was very tolerant with all of that. He knew I had to do something funny that he wasn't going to like. He, he would say things like, you know, we wrote She Loves You. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he'd say, son, there's enough of these Americanisms around. Couldn't you sing yes, yes, yes? Just for once, you know, couldn't you? You don't understand, Dad. 
It can't be yes, yes, yes. It can't. It wouldn't work. Are you sure? You know, and all that. But, you know, that's that's great. That's dad's, isn't it? You know, like, can you sing yes, yes, yes? <laughs> that's great. So, yes, this is nothing new. Yes, we're getting old, possibly crotchety in our older age. But let's look at this question earnestly. Was music better back in the day? What is better? And and you talked about all these music critics. It's such an interesting thing to rate music as a general rule anyway, right? Because right. you're talking about a piece of someone's soul. And so it's hard to criticize something that someone created. I have a real hard time. I try to always find something good, but there are obvious indications of greatness, right? Right. And so are we talking about the volume of greatness was better back in the day, meaning every band was better, or are we saying songs were better? Because I can make an argument that the musicianship was way better back in the day. Talk to us about that. So you and I are in the studio a lot together and separately. We are, we're constantly recording things. When was the last time you played a song the entire way through, start to finish, on an instrument and kept it. In other words, playing the song live and keeping the full take without doing any overdubs. I can't recall a time in memory actually, but I think it's the same in pop music right now. These people are writing songs and recording them in the moment. You don't right. have to be that great of a musician. That all being said, the musicianship of someone in a band in 1960 you actually had to play your instrument. You had to sing in tune. You can say objectively that musicianship was necessarily better than it is now. And that is completely based on the technology that has changed in the time from the analog to the digital. It's not just musicians, it's engineers, producers. The art of recording required a level of expertise that it no longer requires. Absolutely. Anyone can make a song now. Anyone. So in that respect, I would say subjectively and objectively that the musicianship was just better when you had to be a musician. If music was better back in the day, let's look at some possible reasons why that might be the case. Great. Reason number one, a hit song isn't what it used to be. According to a study of music streaming data in 2022, Old songs represented 73% of the U.S. music market. The new music market, that is sales of new music being made, is shrinking. And all the growth in the music industry is coming from old songs. How old are you talking about? More than three years ago. Okay. According to the study, the 200 most popular new tracks now regularly account for less than 5% of total streams. Hmm. What does that mean? Well, it means that even though there are contemporary stars having hit songs, a quote unquote hit song isn't the same cultural phenomenon that it was back in the day. That's amazing. Okay, reason two, and it's related. The value of catalogs. Bob Dylan, Springsteen, Paul Simon, selling their catalogs to investment firms who then work hard to make sure that their investments are paying off. Record labels like Universal, Sony, Warner are buying up old publishing catalogs and putting label money towards older acts that maybe would have gone to developing new talent. They're shooting themselves in the foot. They're shooting themselves in the foot. That doesn't have a long-term outcome. 
Listen to this indictment of the music industry from Ted Goya, writing in The Atlantic. The people running the music industry have lost confidence in new music. They won't admit it publicly. That would be like the priests of Jupiter and Apollo in ancient Rome admitting that their gods are dead. Even if they know it's true, their job titles won't allow such a humble and abject confession. Yet that is exactly what's happening. The moguls have lost their faith in the redemptive and life-changing power of new music. Of course, the decision makers need to pretend that they still believe in the future of their business and want to discover the next revolutionary talent, but it's not what they really think. Their actions speak much louder than their empty words. Wow, that is harsh and real. I tend to agree. Let's pause and hear from my bandmate, Brian Chartrand, on what he thinks. Was music better back in the day? Lads, interesting question. This question reminds me of the premise of the great Woody Allen film, Midnight in Paris. I think that we all kind of look back fondly on the music of our youth because that's when music hits you for the first time and you identify with those bands, with those sounds. We're constantly trying to find that again throughout our lives. I think Brian's right. And it brings me to reason number three what I call emotional marinade. Okay, so what Brian is talking about is actually backed by science. Familiar music actually feels better to audiences. In a piece in Mike.com, Tom Barnes writes, in numerous scientific experiments, researchers have shown that subjects are much more likely to report positive feelings from a given piece of music if they've heard it before. Songs scored even higher marks if they can trigger a specific stored memory. In fact, the emotional centers of the brain are more active when one listens to familiar music. Listen to Jeff Tweedy from Wilco talking about this idea of emotional marinating. Do you feel like you're writing your best songs now? Uh, I think I would really want to quit if I didn't feel like I was getting better. I don't know if they're the best songs, but I feel like I'm getting better and enjoying what I do more. And, and so I, there's no way you can compete the longer you make music. There's no way you can compete with your early records if they've resonated with people because they have time to seep into people's lives. And a new record is, is immediate. And something immediate does not will never have the same uh, set of emotions with something that's been able to accumulate emotions over a long period of time. So I, I've kind of resigned myself to the idea that that's just the way it is. They've had 20 years to develop a relationship with a song. So that is about the human experience, not about the music itself. Exactly. So subjectively, music was better back in the day. For everyone, scientifically. Because yes. that's just how your brain is wired. Exactly. It doesn't say anything about the music itself yet. Yes. Right? Interesting. Exactly. Okay. That might be the most important point for me yeah. so far. Yeah, that's huge. Let's hear from my other bandmate, Greg Naughton, on what he had to say. Lads, super fascinated by this question. I don't think you said, do I like old music better? That's a subjective question. I do, though. But I think you said, was music back in the day better. And I think that that can be scientifically proved that it was better. And I'm curious if you guys will do this. I'd, I'd love to see you go back through history and analyze in a way the complexity of the music itself, the popular music of the day, for instance, 
And I think if you went all the way back to certainly to Bach and Mozart, which may be the height of musical complexity and musicianship, you'll see, I think, a pretty consistent line where harmonization, arrangements, complexity of the music itself and the musicianship just declines over time. There's peaks and valleys, of course. You've got 1950s doo-wop, which is pretty darn uh, dumb. I love it, but, you know, simple. And then you've got late 60s, which becomes much more complex and diverse again. But I think over time, there's a, pr there's a line towards the dumbing down of music and all of its sort of artistic merits uh, of popular music. I'm curious, though, to see if you guys come up with some particular scientifically credible arguments for how it might actually be better now. And that would be interesting. All right. Love you guys. Love the show. Talk to you soon. Greg brings up a lot of really interesting points. He mentions this idea that music has been on a general trajectory towards being simpler. Beethoven, Mozart, Bach much more complex and sophisticated than modern popular music, right? The complexity of classical music is partly because they're composing for an orchestra, right? Like necessarily more dynamic and nuanced instruments. Yeah, exactly. Six, yeah, yeah. I wonder what Mozart and Beethoven would have done with Pro Tools. Having all of the options at their fingertips, would they have made it more simple? Right. Because if you're writing a classical piece, you're writing for every single instrument in the orchestra. What kind of music would Mozart be writing? Right. Oh, man. Reason number four, music is simpler now. A study published in 2017 analyzed over 17,000 songs from the Billboard Hot 100 chart between 1960 and 2010 and found that the diversity of timber, pitch, and loudness has decreased over time. Another study published in 2015 analyzing over 15,000 songs over the same period, found that the chord progressions used in popular music have become simpler and less varied over time. So here's evidence that song structure, songs, music, seems to have simplified over time. And bridges and breakdowns and all these sections that used to happen, they don't happen as much anymore. And a lot of that is due to the time, right? The length of the song. No one has the attention span for a bridge anymore here is sting talking about this very point uh, great musicians and great songwriters mm -hmm. and great music out there uh what i have noticed though is structure is slightly s simpler now it's minimalist yeah. the bridge has disappeared there is no bridge for me the bridge is therapy you know in a, you set a situation out in a song uh my girlfriend left me i'm lonely chorus i'm lonely Another, you reiterate that again. And then you get to the bridge as a, as a different chord comes in. And think maybe, maybe she's not the only girl in the, on the block. You know, maybe I should look elsewhere. And, and then that leads to a, that viewpoint leads to a key change in, in the chord. Things aren't so bad. So it's kind of therapy. And that's therapy for me. The structure is therapy. In modern music, uh, most of it, you, you're in the circular, you know, trap really it just goes round and round and round the middle eight provides like the catharsis right that's so true without that songs are necessarily going to be simpler the bridge itself by its very nature is something different it's a different chord progression it's a different melody it's a different something and without that you just have a lot more of the same but it's not just musical simplification a study published in the journal poetics 
in 2012, analyzed the lyrics of over 15,000 songs from the Billboard Hot 100 chart over a 60-year period and found that the uniqueness of the lyrics had declined over time. Researchers found that the use of cliches and formulaic songwriting had become much more prevalent in popular music. Absolutely. Remember when we talked about the Swedes and the pop music, how the lyrics didn't really, I think it was in our lyric one, where they didn't really even care what it meant as much as the sound of it, the feeling it gave you and the, and the syllable in your mouth, there was so much more important than the actual lyric itself. Was it possible to say that the music of the 60s and 70s, musically, but certainly lyrically, were more important because they were a crucial outlet of cultural expression, protest, commentary, tied to social and political movements, civil rights movement, anti-war movement. Yeah, it was the only way to get that out. There was no, there was right. no other way to do it as a musician. There was, I mean, you can't change people's minds now. But you I could that, back then, I feel I, like. I think that's a really important point, right? Popular music 40, 50 years ago could actually change people's minds about a cultural and political issue. Yeah. Let's listen to a voicemail from our buddy, Josh Panda. Oh, nice. Well, first of all, I feel like this question is a trap into getting me to admit that I'm old. Correct. So thanks for that. Yeah. But yes, the answer is yes. I do think that music was better back in the day simply because in a way it was the precursor to what's happening right now with AI art. You don't have to be an artist to make art anymore. You just have to type in some prompts and work with the algorithm. And that's really all you have to do with music either. You don't have to be able to sing or know how to play an instrument. And you listen to something like Todd Rundgren, I Saw the Light. And that's all real instruments being played by real people having a real experience in a room. And it's beautiful and it's magical. And that's what music is. And I think so much of that has been lost. That's it right there. Panda, you're so right. The humanity is lost in music. This is the crux of why music was better back in the day. I'm still not positive that music was better back in the day. But just musically speaking, like I was talking about before, where somebody would play a whole song through, what made the music great were the warts, was the... What Peter Day, my bandmate, always says is leaving bark on the tree. They've taken all the rough edges and made it so perfect and so smooth and so exactly right. It's no longer right. Bland in a way and, and perfectly bland. I found an article, Clint, titled 10 Reasons Why Music Sucks So Hard Right Now. I think we should scan through some of the top yeah, 10 to discuss. Yes. The writer starts with the point that Josh just made and that you just made. Number one, technology is in the hands of everyone. Yep. In this case, he thinks that having more recording technology on your standard laptop than the Beatles had at Abbey Road Studios is a bad thing. Yes. Agreed. Because any Joe Bag of Donuts can make a song. Yep. And does. <laughs> Number two, zero label development for new artists. We talked about this. Yep. Some great artists of the past laid eggs on their first albums, but they were given opportunity to develop and find an audience over time. Bruce Springsteen didn't hit number one until his fourth album. 
Number three, no 10,000 hours invested from new artists. That is it right there. This gets to the question of the proverbial 10,000 hours to become an expert. That back in the day, there were artists who literally put in those hours. Think about the Beatles in Hamburg or yeah. Springsteen playing in the dive bars of Jersey. Or Eddie Van Halen sitting in his room just shredding for hours and days and weeks. Skipping ahead. Number five, the major labels are in a feeding frenzy to sign the latest data research stars. This goes to the problem of the algorithm, that using data rather than a human instinct may not result in finding something that can stand the test of time. Right. Let's go to the comments. Let's do it. Let's go to the comments. From our friend Jack, the amazing producer at Lake West Recording. He wrote in about our episode on the best duos. He writes, okay, boys. Love the best duo question. Of course, I agree with all your duos, including Larkin Poe. They are absolutely amazing. I recorded them live in Memphis on a radio show, but I have just one quibble. Look, I love Hall Notes, truly a favorite of mine. But as a vocal duo, I disagree. It's basically just laced with layers of Daryl all over those <laughs> records. Very much so. That said, two of my new faves are the Milk Carton Kids. There's a light that's shining now And a calm wind in the pine For the fate of a fearsome travesty Seems to have forgotten me Yep. And the blood harmony of the Avid Brothers. Love. Ah, oh, Brooklyn, Brooklyn, take me in He says both duos are pure perfection. Oh, and how did you not mention Crosby and Nash as a great duo? Have you ever heard their duo version of Guinevere? Let's listen. Let's listen. Guinevere. Thank you, Jack. Ooh. All right, Clint. Our VIP guest, Jeff Simons. I bet Jeff's going to have some thoughts on this topic. Oh, yeah. He's going to have a lot to say. Let's call him. Hello. Hey, buddy. Hey, Jeff. Hi, guys. It's so good to get you back on the age-old question. You, as we've said many times, you are a fan favorite, and it's been too long since we've had you on. Today, we're talking about was music better back in the day? Well, I assume you're talking about 1985. <laughs> which was my day. Um, and, uh, I think a it's Wednesday. a mixed bag. Um, that is a really interesting question. I think uh, my short answer is no, but I know why people would feel that way. I'm really struck by how profoundly our sense of what a song is has changed in the last 15 years and what it can sound like and what it means to like write a song and perform a song. And so I can see why people, I guess people of Irish age are uh, hearing music now and thinking like, I don't even like get it. And I have moments like that too. Like, I mean, Ben plays me stuff. He's like, have you heard this? And I'm like, when are they going to start 
performing the song instead of like warming up and getting the instruments to sound the way they want and it fades out. But I was thinking like, you know, music didn't really change from Bach to 1900, right? Like if you, if I play you classical music from that range, unless you're a classical music fanatic, you'll be like, they pretty much all sound like, it's just like all these notes and motifs running through. And then you get sound recording so people can actually capture and hear stuff and you get the great migration in the United States and you get small combos and you get the ability to, to be a traveling musician, right? You've got trains and you can get from town to town. And, the, and uh, from then to now, like music, popular music is like radically different. So I don't think it was better, but I think that the insistence that anything that sounds like something that happened before is uh, unnecessary is a really short term and ultimately small minded point of view. Totally agree. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we've talked about if you can make a case for the fact that music was better back in the day, what is that case? And one of the things we've talked about is songs have become much simpler. Over time, you see this sort of devolution or the simplification of popular music. This is the, the crux of the, the question here for me is, am I just an old fart? Am I just a, like a, <laughs> a, a grumpy old man to suggest that some of the music that I'm hearing right now is, is not good? And is that different from what other eras presented? I think all of these conversations have happened. And I think that's the point, right? It's like, our ears are supposed to be challenged by what comes next. I do, I have always though found myself really excited by new music until more recently. Like I'm having a harder time getting really fired up about the stuff that younger people want me to get fired up about. Mm -hmm. Might be some of that simplification. And I find the technology of fake instruments uh, hard to enjoy. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, well, the first time you heard a distorted guitar in 1965 and you grew up on like Charlie Christian, you're like, something. why didn't they fix that? Like, that's yeah. fundamentally incorrect. Of course, we're all like, finally, a guitar that sounds like what I want it to sound like. So I'm sure I'm sure I'm, I'm part of a conversation that I was inevitably going to be a part of. But but I do I do find the, the mechanization of music also just the 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 dominance of click tracks and loops and like there's no breathing and there's no there's no kind of acoustic lock feel. this this um, was yeah. this was the point i was going to make and it's one that clint has made a couple times on the show is that in some ways like as technology has become more and more part of the making of music producers artists are seeking more perfect recordings and if you listen to some of those isolated tracks of the beatles you hear yeah. McCartney hitting a fret. The vocals are are not totally synced or whatever it is, but yeah. in the context of the song, it is perfect. I was going to say, Rich, when you were talking about, am I just an old fart? Yeah, let's get back to that. <laughs> is is yes, you are, but no. But what it really is is, do the kids now love that music the way that we loved our music? Right? It's not that it's worse music if they love it and, and we just don't get it like maybe we just we're old farts we don't get it but if those kids end up growing up loving the music now as much as we love the music then then that'll be the answer right then then it comes down to no the songs aren't better back in the day 
your just understanding of those songs is different. I will say the latest Miley Cyrus single is just a good pop song. So it is. It's so, so good. Oh, it's so you're sticky. Not, you're not that old. You're not that old, Rich. You're doing okay. No, no, no. I can buy myself flowers. Well, my wife keeps me young. She she's the one who's listening to pop, right? ra- pop radio and yeah, and uh, she'll play it in the kitchen. I'm like, yeah, this is this is this is pretty good. <laughs> well, before we let you go, I want to ask you: you just released a, a new single, Forty Eight Lines for Twelve Men. It's a really catchy title. I really think that's uh, <laughs> we were going to call it Go Baby Go, but then I was like, no, no, I got a better title. <laughs> I love the single and I'm psyched for people to check it out. Tell us about the song and tell us about uh, putting it out yesterday. Oh, you are kind to bring that up. Yeah. So um, I went to a concert uh, by a band called The Hold Steady, who I just loved. And this was back. This is way back. This is when uh, my wife was was uh, pregnant with our daughter and she was like you know maybe four months pregnant we were like yeah we can go to a show and we were standing in the back being responsible and like three-fourths the way through this jackass just had that like i'm going to the front and he was just plastered so he just put his head down and just pushed his way through the crowd and he like clipped her and knocked her over and i had one of these very few mist of red moments in my life like I just took off after the guy and I had the whole thing in my head like I'm gonna grab him by his collar I'm gonna spin him around I'm gonna put his face off my knee and then we're gonna have a conversation about respect and personal space and the crowd is closing around and I'm clawing at him and I get a hand on his shoulder and then somebody dislodges it and I lose him and I'm like hey you know the last time I checked on Sue's she would have been knocked to the floor right. <laughs> I turn around. better go check on my wife she's like wow 25 yards behind me, like looking at me like with this, like, what is wrong with you? Right. And so I just died laughing. And so I came up with this idea of a song. Like, what if I could like come up with like 12 of those kinds of like dumbass guy stories? So it's 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 four, it's 12 verses, 12 different guys. Each one gets four lines, and it's just little little clips. And some of them are hundred percent autobiographical. And some of them I kind of smashed two or three people together, but you'll recognize all of them. Anybody who's who's lived more than 20 years and interacted with other people will recognize the, the bad mistakes made by the dudes in the song. So. Johnny was a kid who grew up in situate. He had a million one-liners and a problem with barbiturates. He's a bartender and a bartender's son. His race was over before it even begun. My favorite one is the guy, Ruby, uh, the guy who um, locks himself outside of his car with his restaurant uniform in the back seat. That is a real uh, event. <laughs> I, was at the, I was at the Annapolis Mall when I was in high school. My friends and I were walking in and this guy was was kicking the side of his Camaro and cursing. And he had these like real like Maryland redneck. It's like, I'll spit on this car, man. I, I and uh, we just couldn't help ourselves. We're like, you okay there, man? He's like, man, I left, I locked myself out my car and that's, I got to wear that to go to the restaurant. I'm already in trouble for putting my hands in the food and they're going to fire me. And my Urbis Kerbis is in there. And I was like, all right, this guy, 
This is the greatest man I've ever met. Ruby locked himself outside of his Camaro. He had to go to work without the restaurant sombrero. He got fired for putting his fingers into the nacho cheese. Now he cruises past the mall with a 40 between his knees. Isn't that amazing? This guy has no idea that years later he made it into a yep. song. Immortalized. I assume he's not with us. Like that guy, yeah. he's still alive. He turned things around a lot. Well, Jeff, it's always so fun to have you on the age old question. Thank you for joining oh, thanks, and guys. making thanks, us smarter. Jeff. Appreciate you. His record's all in piles so he can repaint the racks. You can't let one of them go if it's got only two good tracks. I don't, his analogies are absolutely incredible oh he just has a, such a way of describing he, he's so something. brilliant he's so good at it what are we going to say about this question was music better back in the day i will say that the industry of music was better back in the day the delivery system development of new artists recording with humanity in those respects i believe that music was better back in the day that being said i think children growing up now are going to love the music they're growing up with as much as we loved the music we grew up with. And 20 years from now, there will be evergreen songs from this era that yeah. live on forever. And this will be folded into the conversation of back music. And I think this conversation is always going to occur in the music industry yes. from now forever because People get old. You don't understand the new thing. And that's kind of the point, right? The whole point of pushing it's the boundaries. Right. Great. That's awesome. I'm going to listen to Crosby, yeah. Stills, and Nash, right? Like, yeah. I don't, I'm not going to listen to it because I don't get it. But that doesn't mean it's not awesome because yes. the kids who are listening to it now and are defining their entire lives based on this music and loving it. They're 13, 14 years old. They're in the sweet spot of loving music. They're making memories of girlfriends and boyfriends and to these songs there is great music now i think you nailed it clint i think that's exactly the answer to this question which is the first part of the answer is it's entirely subjective how can you possibly say that music was better back in the day the objective truth is that the making of music and the industry the business of music was better back in the day in terms of creating music that was made by generally speaking, a higher level of musicianship. Mm -hmm. Music that was recorded by true practitioners and engineers knowing where to put the microphones. Yeah. It's just inherently going to be better because more intent went into it. Right. I think. I don't know. Who knows? No, I do. I think we did it. Do We did it? I think we did it. <laughs> okay. Yes. We hope you had fun. As much fun as we did. And we hope you'll join us next time when we answer another age-old question. Follow us on Instagram at The Age Old Question. Facebook, The Age Old Question. We hope this conversation has sparked some ideas and thoughts of your own. Let us know in the comments. But let's be kind, people. Yeah. No hating. No hating. Also, if you're digging the podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash theageoldquestion and consider becoming a part of our age-old question family. With your support, we'll be able to answer many more age-old questions. 
Thanks. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.